Good morning. Such a blessing to be back here today with all of you, and uh, I wish I had the words to uh, adequately express how much Linda and I and all of our family appreciate your prayers and encouragement. We've had so many uh, beautiful cards and uh, flowers and food and expressions of love and encouragement, and it's just uh, more than we can possibly express how much we appreciate it. I uh, do appreciate uh, uh, Chris and Ryan and Ben and others filling in uh, in various ways while I was uh, away. It's great to know that you have people who are willing and able to do that uh, when you need them to, and we appreciate that so much. Glad to see Katya here this morning. It's proof positive that if the preaching is good enough, people will come from everywhere. <laughs> great to be back with you this morning. We're getting back to First Peter. We haven't forgotten about that. It's been a few weeks. Uh, but we're getting back to 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. You remember that this whole series has been about living a healthy Christian life in a toxic world. How do you live a healthy Christian life in a world that is so toxic? But I want to start off these thoughts this morning by asking you some questions. Why is it so much easier sometimes to do the wrong thing? than it is to do the right thing. Another question, what's the underlying cause of war? What's the cause of human trafficking? What's the cause of so much violence and crime in the world today? What is the cause of the zeal manifested by so many for destroying human life in the womb. What's the cause of corporate greed? What's the cause of child abuse? What's the cause of elder abuse? What's the cause of death from drug overdoses, which run in the hundreds of thousands every year? What's the cause of so much destruction in the natural world? It recently took the lives of more than 50,000 people in an earthquake. Why is the world the toxic place that it is? If you ask most people today those questions, you're going to get a variety of answers. Some will say the answers to some of these questions are political. Others will say they're economic. Others will say that it's because of mental illness. Others will say that it's because of... Uh, political or economic deprivation, others because of uh, numerous other social causes, all the natural disasters, of course, so will say they're due to climate change. But if you were to ask Peter that question, Peter, you've been writing to us about a toxic world and living a healthy Christian life in it. If you were to ask Peter, why is that world so toxic? He'd give you a spiritual answer. He would give you an answer quite different from what you hear. Why is the world that we live in and the world in which Peter's first readers lived in so toxic that they struggled and they suffered for their faith? And he would say, your adversary, the devil. All those other things are factors. All those other things may figure in. But underlying it all, Peter says, is your adversary, the devil. And so as he comes near the close of this letter, he gives a warning to be careful about the devil. Now, I know that sometimes when you start talking about the devil, a lot of people just tune you out because they think, well, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, 
immature thinking, that's superstition, uh, that's childish, and on and on and on. But before you rule out believing in the reality of the devil, that doesn't change the fact that Peter believed in the devil and that James and John and Paul believed in the devil and most of all that Jesus believed in the devil. And you might want to ask yourself who's on the wrong side in their thinking. Is it you or is it them? And what is your explanation of evil if you don't accept that one? So in our text this morning, Peter sounds a warning. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I've read quite a few uh, novels about people who went into uh, Africa in the, the late 19th century. Some of them big game hunters, others of them building railroads and various things, and they would frequently talk about encountering the lion. I can't imagine encountering a lion. I'm, I'm afraid of dogs bigger than a rat. <laughs> but I can't imagine what it would be like to face a roaring lion. And that's what Peter says. Be sober, be watchful, because the devil is like a roaring lion. So who is this devil that Peter speaks of? Well, the word means enemy or opponent. It's the same as the word in Hebrew, Satanah, where we get that other name for the devil, Satan. He is also referred to in Scripture as that ancient serpent, the dragon, the prince of the power of the air, the deceiver of the whole world, the father of lies, and the ruler of this world. All of those things are ways in which the devil is described. We're told that he is a liar and always has been, and that he's a murderer, and that there is absolutely no truth in him. His first appearance in scriptures in Genesis 3, when he takes the form of the serpent. And we're not told in Genesis 3 that that serpent is the devil, but we're told that in Revelation 12. We find out that that's who that ancient serpent is, who tempted first Eve and then Adam to question God's goodness and to trust his word and not the word of God. And what we see of him in Genesis 3 is that he is the corrupter of God's good creation. That's why he's there. You've had that wonderful statement in Genesis 1, verse 31, that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Wouldn't you like to live in a world in which everything was very good? Wouldn't you love to live in a world like that? That's the world in which Adam and Eve lived until Satan came along, and then he began to corrupt everything, and by leading them into sin, it corrupted not only them, and set them on that long path toward death, both physical and spiritual. But it also led to the corruption of the natural world. It led to the corruption of creation itself. And so everything that goes bad, everything that goes wrong in this world, everything that leads to death in this world is his work. So when we look around and see people killing each other for no apparent reason, and we see people killing themselves with addictions, and all kinds of foolish behaviors, and we hear 50,000 being killed in a matter of days in a series of earthquakes, and, and millions of unborn babies being killed in the womb before they ever see the light of day, it's all ultimately his work. It is all ultimately his doing. Your adversary, the devil. And now Peter says he is the source of the toxicity of the world that causes people not only to reject their Savior, 
but to mistreat those who accept him. That's the problem being faced by these people to whom Peter was writing. They're trying to follow Jesus. They're trying to follow God in a world that doesn't. And so their adversary, the devil, is going to make it as hard on them as he possibly can. That's why you have the struggles you have in living the Christian life. That's why you run into the opposition that you run into. That's why you face the criticism and the ridicule that you face when you stand up for Jesus because of your adversary, the devil. There's only one cure for the sin of the world, and that's Christ. And so the devil wants nothing more than to keep you from your Savior and to keep everybody else from their Savior. And so he's created this hostile world in which we live to turn us away from God and from Jesus. Plainly put, it's so hard to live a consistently healthy Christian life because we live in a world that's been made toxic by a spiritual enemy who is alive and active. And since so many don't believe in him, that's probably his greatest victory. It's just the fact that people don't believe he's there. What greater advantage could you give an enemy than to pretend he doesn't exist? And to say in your own mind that he's not real and to act like you don't really have an enemy. That's his greatest victory. We have an enemy that we don't believe in, and he's stalking us, and it's no wonder that so many so easily fall prey to him. In Ephesians 6 and verse 12, Paul said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the struggle lies. The struggle is not with other people. The struggle is not with the natural world. The struggle is not with, with uh, the struggle is with the spiritual forces of evil corrupting all of those things. And so it's imperative if we're going to live a healthy Christian life in a toxic world to know that we have an enemy and to know how to combat him and to take him seriously. Because he's prowling around like a roaring lion just looking for an opportunity to eat somebody up. You remember that account in the book of Job, chapter 1? When Satan appeared in the presence of God? Now, don't ask me how that's possible. How did Satan get into heaven? I don't know. My guess is he was strictly temporary because I'm sure he won't be there when you and I are there. But he appears before God, and God says, where, where have you been, and what have you been doing? And he said, I've been out walking up and down on the earth and going to and fro on it. Very close to what Peter says, isn't it, that he prowls around like a roaring lion, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan went after him. I want to tell you this morning, folks, according to the Bible, He's considering you, and he's considering me. He's after all of us. We have to be ready for him. So what do we do to be prepared to avoid being eaten alive, to make it out of this world with our souls intact? Let's look at what Peter says. First of all, in verse 8 of chapter 5, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Well, what does that mean? Well, it may mean simply to have a serious attitude about Satan and about all things spiritual. And that's certainly appropriate, isn't it? Let's be serious about Satan. He is no joke. 
Let's be serious about our spiritual lives. Let's stop acting like our spiritual lives are sort of an add-on to the rest of our lives. Let's start acting like what we should act like, that God and Christ are at the center of our lives. They are the very first of our lives. If you're packing your car to go on a trip, as many will be here in the next few months, what do you do? Put in the things that you think you might need, first of all, or do you put in the stuff you know you're going to need, and then you put in whatever else will fit? All right? Hopefully, you know, to pack the stuff you really need. How do we pack our lives? Do we put Christ in and then fit everything else around him? Or do we put everything else in and then see if there's a little space for Jesus? If we do that, we're opening ourselves up to the devil. Be sober-minded, Peter says. So it could mean take seriously the things of the Spirit. It also could mean what we usually mean by sober. Some translations don't say sober-minded. They just say be sober. And what we usually mean by that is not having our minds clouded by intoxicants. People who regularly cloud their minds with drugs and alcohol can't be very serious about fending off the devil. You can't be because all those things break down your resistance. They open you wide up. And they make it almost impossible to fend off the devil. They blind us to what is foolish and to what is dangerous. I suspect that Peter, if you were to ask him, would say, I mean both. I mean, be serious about your spiritual life and avoid those things that would leave you wide open to Satan. We need our wits about us in order to survive. Listen to Paul again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Literally, give no place to the devil. Don't leave any room for him. Don't leave a room in your life for him to inhabit. Don't leave a corner there. As the song that we sang at the beginning of the service says, leave no unguarded place. Don't leave him a spot. Don't make room for him at all. But make sure that you're not giving him an opportunity. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul said that we need to be sure to forgive people when they sin against us so that we will not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs Peter had talked about his schemes, the schemes of the devil, the design, designs of the devil. He's working, he's thinking, he's looking for those openings in your life and in mine. And we have to be sure we don't give them to him. That matches the context in 1 Peter, by the way, because he's talking about humility toward one another and toward God. That's what he said right before he says, be sober, be watchful, your adversary, the devil's prowling around. He says, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. The corollary to that is resist the devil. Then also in verse 8, he says, be sober, be watchful. Watchful literally means staying awake. Staying awake. I suspect that was a subject very close to Peter's heart, don't you? Remember when Jesus went into Gethsemane the night before he went to the cross? And he took all the disciples with him, of course, except Judas. And he left eight of them there to pray. And he went a little further with Peter and James and John. And he said to them in Matthew 26, 
Verse 28, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. You know what he's saying? What's he asking them to do? Is he asking them to serve as lookouts? Is he asking them to defend him? No, he's saying, stay awake with me. Just stay with me. Just don't fall asleep. First time he came back and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, Matthew says, to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Stay awake, Peter, and pray because you're going to need it so you don't enter into temptation. But Peter didn't stay awake, and he fell into temptation. And now Peter is saying that to all of us. Keep awake, be spiritually alert, watch out for your enemy. It's the only way to resist temptation. And then verse 9, he says, resist him. That simply means put up a fight. How do you do that? Well, he tells us. He says, resist him being firm in your faith. Don't waver no matter what. Don't let go of what you know to be true. That's what happens sometimes when Satan attacks us. We begin to question the things we know to be true. And when we start questioning the things that we know to be true, gradually our confidence in God begins to break down and we begin to be more fearful than we are faithful. So we need to be sure that we are firm in our faith. Secondly, he says, remember that others are going through the same struggles you are. The same struggles, he says, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What difference does that make? You know, it helps sometimes to know you're not the only one, doesn't it? It helps to know that other people are going through this, and they're making it, they're surviving, and that others have gone through it before us. And as we look back over, over the uh, ages of Christian history, we look at how many people suffered and even died for their faith. And they endured. They made it. They got through this toxic world with a healthy faith. And it tells us that you and I can do the very same thing. It helps to know we're not the only one. We have an enormous support group. And then Peter says we resist the devil by being assured that suffering and temptation will not last. After a little while, he says, the God of all grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There will be a time when the struggles are over. There will be a time when it won't be hard anymore. There will be a time that whatever we had to endure, we'll know that it was worth it. Just one glimpse of him in glory. Will the toils of life repay, the old song says. Just one glimpse, that first second when you see his face, you'll know that whatever you went through, it was okay. But I don't want us to leave Peter's words here without noticing there's even some good news where the devil's concerned. He's not the good news, but there's some good news about him. Notice in verse 9, he says, resist him. And then you look at James 4 in verse 7, and James says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Resist the devil and he will flee from you because it tells me that it is guaranteed that when we resist him, when we hold on to our faith, when we seek to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing, when we're looking to God rather than to ourselves for strength, he will flee. He has to. He doesn't have any choice. The winner is already determined. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy for us to make it through our struggles. It simply means that the outcome is guaranteed. And you know why? It's guaranteed because of what Jesus did. It's guaranteed because when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin and death and Satan. He broke his back so that now we have the certainty that by resisting him, we can be victorious because of what he did on the cross. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So you don't have to defeat him by your own strength or your own determination. You defeat him simply by holding on to your faith in Christ and resisting the temptations that he places in your path. The results are assured. The results are assured. It's no wonder that Peter closes the main portion of his letter with what we call a doxology. A doxology simply means a word of praise. And here's his word of praise. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because of what he has done, making it possible for us to resist our enemy. I want to tell you something this morning. Satan may be prowling around in this very room right now because there are people here who haven't yet put their trust in Christ and haven't confessed him and haven't been baptized into his name had their sins washed away and as you're hearing all of this about Satan you may be sitting there thinking I really know that I need to follow Jesus but not now. Who do you think saying not now? Where do you think that comes from? Or you may be sitting there thinking, well, Jesus is good, but maybe there are other ways. Who do you think's putting that thought in your head? There may be those of you who are sitting here today thinking, I know what God would have me to do I just can't bring myself to do it. You're telling yourself you can't. Or for some reason you shouldn't. Who do you think is the source of that? Resist him and he will flee from you. Don't give him an opening. Respond to Jesus today. Put your trust in him. Become his follower. And if you're ready to do that right now, come and tell us while we stand and sing.